Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. I was at the border for about a week and I I made stops in Brownsville, Texas, McAllen, Texas, and then El Paso, Texas. And the the story that stuck with me the most was this 33-year-old mother, her name Marlene Reyes, and her two small kids. One was eight, one was five. 33. And she made the trip by herself with her two kids because she had been receiving threats that the kids were going to get kidnapped and killed if she didn't offer money. Wow. You know, hearing that story was just hard because we talk so much about the politics of all of this and you hear in Washington people telling you, you know, oh, we need to close the border or oh, we need to open the border. And and it's just very politicized. Mm -hmm. But when you're hearing firsthand these people telling you, you know, these stories of, you know, I was scared for my life, I was scared for my children's life, that really adds a whole other layer of understanding to this situation. Two weeks ago, I sent a letter to President Biden requesting a meeting to discuss the border crisis. As of today, I still have not received a response from him or anyone in his administration. Now to a story we have been following. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas is defending the Biden administration's handling of the migrant crisis at the southern border. We know how to secure the border. We know how to care for children. And we know how to build legal and safe pathways to the United States that the law provides. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today... We don't need to overblow this and say a huge crisis, but just acknowledge that there are real challenges right now with the numbers that are coming across. Sabrina Rodriguez on the politics and the reality of the southern border. Right now, what we're seeing is a sharp increase in the number of migrants that are arriving at the border. Each day, more come. A surge not seen in years, families struggling to get into the U.S. spurred on by desperation and hope. In February, there was about 100,000 people that were apprehended at the border, according to CBP statistics. Now, the vast majority of those people get sent back almost immediately. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because of the pandemic, Trump in March 2020 imposed a rule that was kind of a public health emergency rule to be able to just send them back immediately. Our nation's top health care officials are extremely concerned about the grave public health consequences of mass uncontrolled cross-border movement. Biden has been using that rule so far. The difference being that he's opted to let some families stay in the country, which are some of the ones that I, you know, saw in, in Brownsville, Texas and in McAllen. And the headlines that we're seeing the most has to do with unaccompanied minors because they're not being sent back. This morning, the Biden administration scrambling to find shelter for more migrant children arriving by the day, opening this facility in Midland, Texas, and eyeing larger spaces like the Dallas Convention Center. So in February as well, with that statistic of the 100,000, it was almost 10,000 of those that were unaccompanied minors, Uh, many of them being, you know, small children, you know, young teenagers. And with them being, you know, led into the country and allowed to stay, the Biden administration is really trying to figure out where to house all of these kids, especially as just more are coming. Well, what are they doing exactly? How are they housing them? With, you know, the migrants arriving, these unaccompanied children and and teenagers, they arrive and they're taken into CBP custody. CBP custody, though, is, you know, when you think of the 
kind of like jail-like cells and just not a place for children. I mean, the the Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas has said it himself. He has said, you know, the Border Patrol facilities are not a place for children. We need to get them out of there as quickly as possible. Uh-huh. And by law, they're supposed to get them out of there within 72 hours. Hmm. But the problem now being that when they take them out of CBP custody, these kids are supposed to go into these shelters uh, that are run by the Department of Health and Human Services. Hmm. And, and what are, what are those facilities like? Some progressives will tell you that those are just as bad as CBP custody and will say that, you know, it's also not a humane setting for these children. But they are a step up. I mean, they they are definitely better than being in CBP custody. They, you know, have educational services and health services for kids. But right now, there's capacity constraints. One, because of the pandemic, and two, because of the sheer number of kids that are arriving. So right now, the Biden administration is trying to speed up finding new shelters, Mm -hmm. and they're just trying to make the process faster so that these kids get out of CBP custody, get out of the shelters, and are united with sponsors. But those sponsors have to be vetted which, you know, can take time. You mentioned that progressives have been critical here. And I mean, I remember, you know, throughout the Trump administration, criticism from the left over his immigration policy and specifically, you know, the line of keeping children in cages. The conditions at the border have shocked the conscience of the country. The system is broken, that human rights are being abused and neglected. We don't need new laws. We need morality. Um, Can you... Help me understand what exactly is different here, you know, with migrant children arriving at the border under the Biden administration. The biggest difference is, you know, the the CBP custody versus the shelters. I mean, the Trump administration was not interested in necessarily, you know, revamping these shelters or making sure that they were, you know, safer spaces for these children. A lot of those shelters have been revamped. I will note, though, that journalists have not been allowed into the shelters. Really? Yeah. So there's not some level of confirmation that, okay, we've all seen what they look like and they're super different or anything like that. Well, first, let me say that the White House and we all in the administration support finding a way to grant access to the media, to the HHS and OR facilities or the shelters where uh, these children are uh, are staying for a temporary period of time before they are placed with family members or with sponsored homes. Uh, the Office of Refugee right resettlement is has not been hosting as you've noted media tours of unaccompanied children facilities currently due to the COVID-19 pandemic but we remain committed to transparency and we're considering potential options but just the process of you know the Trump administration did separate families it wasn't only that oh unaccompanied children came to the border it was you know families were arriving and they were separating parents and children Mm -hmm. and they weren't allowing a lot of these children to stay or a lot of these families to stay they were just deporting them so there's a difference in the approach to some extent but i think that the reality at the end of the day is a big part of this is there's a difference in the rhetoric um the way that this is being talked about is very different right now and the steps that the biden administration is taking to, you know, be able to house these kids in the safest way possible is is very different than what we saw under the Trump administration. Regardless, though, we are seeing Republicans seize on this, right? The security of our nation and our border is first and foremost responsibility of our president. I came down here because I heard of the crisis. Yet a group of GOP House members led by Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy make a trip to the border earlier this week to highlight what they're calling a crisis, which they say is 
the result of Biden's immigration policies. The sad part about all of this, it didn't have to happen. This crisis is created by the presidential policies of this new administration. Is there any truth to that? And, and would you call what's happening, what you've been reporting on at the border, a crisis? Oof, that's the million-dollar question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I've been using the, the word crisis with air quotes because it's just so deeply politicized. I mean, if you talk to local officials and the people that are on the ground in the front line of all of this, they'll tell you, you know, it's not a crisis for us at the moment because we know how to handle this. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that Trump made a lot of efforts to just close the border. You know, someone would come to the United States to seek asylum and they would be forced to wait in Mexico while their case was being heard. Now, the Biden administration has come in, has said, we're not going to continue that practice. We're going to figure out how to revamp the system, reform our immigration system so that we don't have people that are need to come to the border. The president has committed to seeking $4 billion over four years to address the root causes of migration, including corruption, violence, and economic devastation exacerbated by climate change. Now, in the immediate term, that means people are coming. I mean, the messaging, it's impossible that Biden is going to say, I'm going to have a fair and humane system, and people are not going to interpret that to be a radical shift from the previous administration. But the ultimate goal is not to have an open border or to, you know, okay, whoever wants to come in can come in, but for there to be a process for people to do that. And Trump really ended that. Trump really tried to, you know, shut off the process of, of allowing migrants into the country. And that's kind of where, where there's a disconnect is this is all cause and effect. You know, Trump changed things so much. Biden is trying to fix things. And, and in the in-between, people are coming. Mm. Before I let you go, you mentioned earlier that the human experience of the people actually seeking asylum are usually lost in the politics and policy discussions of this. And I'm just curious, what do you think we should know about what the people, the asylum seekers at the center of this are experiencing? I mean, I think it's really important to understand the conditions in some of these Central American countries. Um, I don't think it's a uniform, like all of Central America is the same or all these countries that they're coming from are the same. There are different problems in each of the countries. Some have more issues of corruption or like lack of opportunity for jobs. Some have more issues of gang violence. We bring you inside a place where women are under siege. It's been called the most dangerous place on earth to be a woman. And it's not a distant land oceans away. It's only 2,000 miles from Texas. We bring you to Honduras. Some were, you know, families lost their homes and were just completely devastated after last year's hurricanes. There were two back-to-back hurricanes um, that hit the area. This is now the strongest November hurricane on record for landfall in Nicaragua. You can see some of the images here behind me. But you have. And I talked to several people that, you know, made the decision to come and have been planning to come for a while because of just this issue of, of they lost their home. Um, Or because of climate change, there's actually, you know, a lot of asylum seekers that because of climate reasons, you know, they've lost their livelihood because of crop damage and and issues on that front. Mm. So I think it's really understanding that these countries have issues that have pushed these people to come to the United States that have really made them feel that they have no other option but to come to the United States. 
So it seems that from, you know, and, and not in a partisan way, not Republican or Democrat, but just from talking to experts on these issues, the only way that this can truly change is by addressing those root causes of migration, by actually making efforts. And, and people argue about what the best way to do that is, but there is a general consensus that something has to be done to help these countries to hopefully improve the conditions there so people don't feel the need to, you know, trek all the way through Mexico to come into the United States. Sabrina Rodriguez, thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me on. Also today, Senator Chris Coons says he'll, quote, very likely call on tech executives, including the CEOs of Twitter and Facebook, to testify before the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on Privacy and Technology, which he was recently tapped to lead. His remarks signal that the panel is poised to make social media accountability a top priority in its oversight efforts under Democratic control. Kuhn says he would also focus on how algorithms amplify misinformation online and how to combat extremism on the Internet. Spokespeople for Twitter and Facebook declined to comment. And the number of voters who think that New York Governor Andrew Cuomo should remain in office is dropping, but most still think that he should not leave office immediately. That's according to a Quinnipiac University poll released on Thursday. A total of 43% of respondents say that Cuomo, quote, should resign, while 49% say he shouldn't. And support remains fairly high among Democrats, with 23% saying he should resign, while 67% say he should not. The Politico Dispatch production team includes senior producer Jenny Ament and executive producer Irene Noguchi. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.